Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Millennial Teacher Podcast. My name is Shakira Langley, and we're talking about all things education through the eyes of young millennial teachers. And as you all know, recently, myself and Asia Johnson did an episode on the push out of Black girls in education. And now today we have Asia Johnson back and Mr. Terrence McQueen, who specializes in education as well. And today we're going to focus on the push out of Black males in education. So welcome Asia and Terrence. And if you guys can just introduce yourselves really quick and your background with education, then we'll get started. Okay. Um Hey, my name is Terrence McQueen, or I am Terrence McQueen. I am a second-year master's student in the higher education program at the University of Michigan with a concentration in diversity and social justice, and I am a professor of Morehouse College. And I'm Asia Johnson. I am, um, I work in Los Angeles, and I am, uh, it's the morning, y'all, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Angeles, and I um, do educational equity work for an education nonprofit out here, and I am also a doctoral student at the University of Southern California, getting my doctorate of education in organizational change with an emphasis in education leadership. Nice. So um, last time, Asia, you and I talked about the push out of Black girls, and we were just talking about how creativity and the things that are stereotypical for Black women push us out of education. So Terrence, do you want to start with what exactly the push out of Black males in education looks like and how it's different for, um, for males and females? Sure. Um, so when I was thinking about what the pipeline looks like or what the preschool to prison pipeline looks like for black men and boys um i notice it really when you may have um black male teachers seen as like um disciplinary figures or authoritative figures and they're the only ones that may be able to understand um black male children or i think about it when you have a um teacher that's non-Black and she's a woman, more specifically a white woman teacher, and she's unable to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, redirect her Black male student that may be uh, categorized or labeled as angry or disruptive, or um, he's not following the rules, as they would say. Um, He's being contrary to what the rules and guidelines are in the classroom. Um, And so that's when they begin to Uh, push the student out of the classroom through what may be expulsion or suspension or um, having some type of like behavior intervention with uh, what we know as a campus resource officer. Right. And um, when you say that, I think like directly for behavior and it starts at such a young age because Asia and I were talking about how at three and four, they have these behavioral interventionists coming in the classroom and literally pulling kids out. And eventually that leads them to suspension. Yes, and I, I remember so so vividly um, in elementary school, we have um, a buzzer, and if something was going on and the teacher couldn't de-escalate the situation, the teacher would just say, I'm, I'm going to pull the, hit the buzzer, I'm going to press the buzzer, and that meant that either an administrator was coming or um, a campus officer was coming, and I think now about how um, in elementary school we were conditioned to believe that um, police officers were like our safe haven or they were the person that we could go to if we were in trouble. But mm-hmm. if we were in trouble um, in like a negative 
connotation, um, that would be the person that would be coming to literally pull us out of the classroom. Um, and, you know, the way that they framed how um, young Black boys and young Black men should look at the police officers, like, at a very young age, as you said, in elementary school, it was like, this person is the one that's supposed to keep me safe. But if I'm in trouble, this is the person that's going to further escalate what it looks like for me to be in trouble and what it looks like for me to leave the classroom. Right. And Asia, you were saying um, something along the lines of that, like when we were um, talking about behavioral interventionists coming in and instead of like Terrence said, a teacher de-escalating the situation, like back then it was a buzzer and now there's a whole app where you can just push the button and somebody will come and take the kids out of your classroom. That is wild. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And it's really sad because it's like, what else can we do as educators to like avoid our kids literally getting ripped from us? And then you think about like the restraints that they put them in. And I also think about like how some schools now before kids even walk through the door, there's a police officer patting them down. And that's just not a way I personally think a child should enter the classroom. Excuse me. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's annoying because the first, the, the child's first interaction when they come to school is this, you know, police officer or this security guard or this like resource officer of some, some sorts, kind of like checking them to make sure that they think they're okay to enter the space. But it's like schools are supposed to be safe havens. And if my, if I'm seven and my first interaction is this, you know, police officer checking my backpack or telling me to like, you know, fix the look on my face, it's 745. Like what? what could I possibly have in my backpack at 745 as a seven-year-old? Right. And I don't know if Terrence, you could speak on this, but um, for girls, it mainly looks like they get pushed out for academic reasons and creativity. But for boys, do you think it is strictly their behavior? Um, It could be behavior for me, behavior connected to what may be like academic reasons. So they often say um, black children have ADD or ADHD. And so they need to be um, in a different type of classroom, but really um, what that black child may need is um, maybe a fast paced or advanced type of learning because the teacher that's (laughs) teaching the child, um, she's not able or they're, he, she, they, um, excuse me, they're not the teacher, they're not able to um, give the student what they may need. And so of course, the student may not be able to pay attention or the student may be losing focus because the specific teacher can't cater to the advanced child's learning needs. Um, and so that looks like behavior. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll say like, you know, boys will be boys if a student's roughhousing with another male student. Um, you know, I, I also kind of want to think about what type of teachers we look at to um, de-escalate or kind of guide Uh, Black men and boys, I know for me, um, my mother is an educator. She's been an educator for about 25 years now. And she was known as like the teacher that will get the children into shape. And, you know, that basically just Mm -hmm. means like Black women may have this um, stereotype that they're known for like uh, being stern or being strict or they can handle what other teachers know as problem children. And, you know, my mother she she enjoys her job and like teaching is definitely her passion because she does it extremely well and so i i think that something is to be said when we are expecting teachers to teach 
and also like manage their manage their classroom or be behavioral uh, intervention specialist. And I know that some of the students that she has may not even be for academic purposes. It could also just be this student has like a behavioral issue, and we know that um, yeah. you know Miss McQueen is the one that can do that. And so again, it just gets into the conversation of. Uh, teachers in certain cities and states are not being paid <laughs> uh, <laughs> for what they're expected to do because we can be very honest even in the time of COVID they're expected to do way more than teach oh yes absolutely Terrence you said something that like really rang a bell with me um I feel like sometimes when we think about like the push out of black students in general and academics it's always like a negative connotation but it is like well I am, I'm more advanced than with this lesson that you're giving me. So I'm mm -hmm. bored. So I don't need to be doing multiplication. I need to be moving on to something, something else. So like I can actually read at a higher level than these ABC books. So, you know, challenge me a little bit in my academics and I will rise to the occasion. So I, I agree. I think that I know for me personally in the third grade, I was just so bored with the content because it's like, I'm this is kind of like easy peasy to me. And I did have a little attitude, um, but it was because like I'm bored at school and I'm not challenged, so. Right, no, that hits home for me too, but not me specifically, but my brother. So he's older than me. And I just remember my dad leaving. It was a back to school night. Um, not a back to school night, but a parent teacher conference. And the teacher was like, yeah, Antoine is sweet and this, that, and third, but he's a disruption. He just gets up, he stands up, he likes to wiggle, but he makes good grades, but he's just very disruptive. And my dad came home and was just like, you need to listen in class, blah, 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 blah. And then my mom was like, no, what is this teacher doing to keep my child engaged? And how is it disruptive if he just wants to take a break, stretch his legs, like, you know, deep breathing. And it just amazes me how um, some educators are so quick to say this child is disruptive just because they may be bored. And for me as an educator, I have to look at myself and be like, okay, this child is wiggly. Let me give them a break. Or this is not working for this kid. So how can I reach them? And so I really think that that was important for y'all to <laughs> to say. Yeah, it's, it's very important because, um, you know, I remember growing up, school always just felt so militant <laughs> like right. we had to sit a certain way we had to walk a certain way and you know i i'm gonna say this it almost felt as if like we were appealing to like white standards um yes. because you know yeah. like black students we i heard bettina love say it dr bettina love she came to you mitch and um she's the author of we want to do more than just survive and um she gives teachers um pointers from like an abolitionist perspective and she says everything that schools require specifically charter schools or like um everything that they want we have they want creativity black children have it they want spunk yep. have it yep. they want expressiveness like black children have everything and yet we still are told that like we're not meeting the standard we're not um fitting into the mold like and i for me that um it it makes me scratch my head because what more can we do like what more do they want from us <laughs> right no that's so real and like you said like even it's crazy to think that even back in the day like it was a certain standard but like asia and i were talking about the network we came from if students weren't sitting crisscross a certain way if they didn't um 
track you at all times. If they did one little thing that was not checked off as being an attentive student, then you would get looked at as being an unfit educator. So it's kind of like, so the, if a child does not cooperate with the standards, that means they're incapable of learning and that means I'm an incapable teacher. Yeah, and it means that they want you to be the police. <laughs> <laughs> they, they want you to be the police. And I, in the time of like the push for defunding the police and abolishing the police or defund to abolish, um, you know, I can think about how a lot of these policies or community agreements or norms are literally like modern day policing within schools. And I just wonder. I think a lot about like where schools are located um, is just, just a thing where you have um, in schools that are predominantly populated with black and brown students, or would we see the same type of policing and monitoring in the um, middle-class neighborhoods that are predominantly filled with white students? Mm, that's a good, that's a good outlook to look at it from. Because like you said, like depending on where the school is placed, there's a whole different standard within it looks like once you cross that bridge into like a predominantly white area or middle class. Hmm. That's a good point. So on the outside looking in, what do you think is the first step that education or educators need to do to kind of stop our kids from entering this pipeline system? Like, is it is it hmm, far-fetched at this point because it's so embedded or do you think that it can be turned around? And both of y'all can speak on that. I'll let Asia go ahead if she has something. I have something in mind, but I want to be mindful that she's sharing the space with me. <laughs> oh, no, I have, um, I have my, th I'm getting my thoughts in order in my head. So go for it, Aaron. Oh, Run um, <laughs> I think a lot about, um, you know, in the age of TikTok, there are a lot of young Black teachers that are just doing things a little differently. Um, there are a lot of teachers in New York and Baltimore, um, even in Louisiana and Texas, they're doing a lot of things differently. So I don't believe it's far-fetched. Um, I do believe that there is a way for uh, educators to kind of push the envelope a little bit. So like, um, just... It, it really, for me, looks like what type of space um, is the teacher allowing the students to enter in? And then what type of environment or learning environment is the teacher creating so that students feel comfortable? Um, it's, it's different for a student to kind of enter the hallways, um, get to their class, and then it's different for them to have an experience that's not like what they get when they're in the hallways or in the cafeteria. So for me, I don't believe it's far-fetched because um, it really all boils down to what type of environment um, a teacher is creating in their classroom. And also, really, what type of environment um, is the administration allowing the teachers to create? That's something that I think about often. Um, I know that um, I've seen some articles um, that have been passed around about principals firing students that have, excuse me, principals firing um, teachers that have signs in their room that say Black Lives Matter, or they have signs um, promoting safe spaces for queer students. And, you know, when an educator kind of wants to push the envelope, it's even absurd to think that's pushing the envelope. But when an educator wants to advocate for their students and make a safe space for their students, administration doesn't allow. So again, you know, 
what does it look like for the teacher to create a safe space for students um, beyond policing and monitoring? And then what does it look like for an administrator to allow teachers to create those safe spaces for students? I absolutely agree. Um, I was, I always say that like, there's so many things that get put on the shoulders of teachers. And Terrence, you spoke to it earlier about how teachers have to be the teacher, the lawyer, the police officer, the you know guidance counselor, mm -hmm. all these things. And it's almost like people forget about admin. Um, mm -hmm. And if your admin is not um, kind of like respecting your creativity to create these safe spaces, which uh, to me, education is a safe space for all students. Why would you not want to foster a place that's inclusive of, you know, all learners and their identities. Um, so if your admin isn't supporting you, that is hard. So I think it does. It also starts with like admin, kind of like walking the walk and talking the talk and supporting their teachers and their, their you know, other education officials in their schools wanting to create safe spaces for all students. Um, and I, I don't think it's far-fetched, like with everything that's happening um, with distance learning now, I feel like the traditional everything is out the window and we can kind of just like try new things and see what sticks. Mm. Um, and I love that Terrence brought up TikTok because I think that there's <laughs> just in general, you learn so much on TikTok, but I love seeing like the creativity that educators have come up with and how to like, you know, teach their students and um, be these, you know, anti-racist educators. Um, so I don't think it's far-fetched, but I think it's like, we have to start thinking outside of the box. And I also think that the education system in general needs to start seeing the value in um, Black students. And for so long, I mean, y'all remember growing up, like our, we learned our history from like our family. Like we learned about Black history right. from like either going to church or like uh, from your family, it was never in textbooks. So I think that like the education system overall needs to start um, understanding and uplifting the value of Black students. And also like, all identities of what it means to be black like there you can be you know black and queer black and differently able like all these different things so right so Asia you have like done some work with like policies and procedures so knowing that a lot of uh, the education standards and stuff is like higher up than admin do you think that these policies can go into effect like both of y'all said like we can do the work inside the classroom but at the end of the day when those policies are put into place and teachers have to quote unquote try to conform to it or get in trouble for not conforming to it do you what do you have to say for like people who write these policies and things of that nature for education like do you think they are open-minded being in the world we're living in like millennial teachers are not doing the norm I feel like a lot of people who are writing these policies are older white people uh, and who have never stepped foot in a classroom to begin uh, with <laughs> or have never picked up, you know, any sort of academic literature on education and black and brown students, but somehow they're up here writing policies. Okay. Um, so I think that at the very, very top, we need to like kick all those people out <laughs> mm -hmm. for lack of a better word and just, get people in place who not only identify with these communities, but have experience in them and can speak to it and like know exactly what is going on and what needs to be done. Because I like a 45 year old white male cannot sit here and write a policy for, you know, black and brown students. 
right. and has never had any experience with them, does not even, you know, fit into that community, understand that community. Yeah, no, I agree a hundred percent. And then I think about like what you and Terrence both said, like um, the black woman is like the disciplinarian or when I think of like black males in education, I think of them as like coming to scare a child. So it's kind of like, if you're looking at black women and men as disciplinarians or someone to scare your, scare your students, to make them conform to what you have going on in your classroom, how do we even get to the top of making policies or kicking these people out you know like that's what i think about that looks like maybe shifting the narrative but it's it's so difficult because asia said it um they're old and white and have never stepped foot in the classroom i mean we know what our secretary of education looks like and we you know that's 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 enough like Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's enough um you know when you have a young millennial or um, someone who does not fit the category of being white and old wanting to kind of run for a seat so that they can change some things, they get a lot of pushback. Um, And so I think we have to uh, shift like what support looks like for folks who kind of actually want to make change. And then really, I think mentorship is a big thing. Um, Who who are these folks looking up to? And then like, who's taking these younger... Uh, younger educators under their wings to say like you know this is what you should do don't do this let's try this um because I don't well what I'm wanting to say is everyone definitely has a mentor um you know no matter how successful they are mm-hmm. agreed so what are you guys like tips for educators like when we do eventually get back into the classroom like what should it look like as far as like when a child has a behavior issue like how like do you have any like tips on all the things we could do possible before hitting that buzzer or touching that app before we call these disciplinarians and then our kid becomes like a running record um before i answer that i do want to say something that i want to speak to something terrence said um i think of congresswoman aoc and how she is the youngest um person to ever be in congress and you know she just, she is really like uprooting the system and shaking the table. <laughs> um, and so that's what we need. Like, so, so I 100% like agree with you, Terrence. Like as soon as you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, AOC, like she's the perfect yeah. example of getting like, basically kicking down the door and being like, I'm here and I'm about to make some changes. Certainly. Agreed. Anything else that y'all wanted to speak on that we didn't hit? related to this topic? No. Got it all covered? Okay. So, no, I think that was good. And um, me personally, I'm just going to try to do my best before, like I said, hit the app, call the buzzer, administrator. Do y'all want to speak to any teachers listening? So I will say um, something that I guess we should remember is that nothing will be back to normal. That's a hard pill to swallow. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a hard pill to swallow because we've gotten used to and very familiar with what happened pre-COVID. But like we know post-COVID, everything's going to be shifted. And so what does it look like for teachers to gain new strategies or new implementation? Um, I also think now like learning is more accessible than has ever been. We know that folks can work from home, they can learn from home, attend conferences from home. Um, And so 
keeping in mind of like what accessibility looks like. I also think that um, teachers really should, if they are not doing it already, call for um, anti-racist training or um, behavior intervention that does not look like um, policing in schools. Um, that's very difficult. I will say that, um, <laughs> and I know that it's difficult. I also think that teachers should certainly be giving themselves grace. Um, you know, like I said, when we go back into the classrooms or when school opens up and teachers are able to bring students back into the classroom, grace is going to be something that we all need. Um, oh, yes. Grace for the child, um, grace for the administrator, but also um, lighting fire under your administrators because especially, well, lighting fire under the administrators that are acting as if, like, we're not in a pandemic, acting as if been very difficult um and it looks like having tough conversations and shifting policies and um the ways that institutions or schools are kind of carrying out or we're carrying out because it's not going to work we're all going to have to go back to the drawing board mm-hmm. um, but i will say that this is nothing that we can't overcome um you know this is month what are we have we been in here for six months oh my goodness has it been seven months wait can i <laughs> Wait, wait, no, it hasn't been six months. Has it been six months? Oh. I feel like it's been over six months at this point. So, but this is something that many of us are able to survive and we're continuing to survive. And so, um, you know, making sure that we have community and understanding what community looks like. And community does not look like calling the police. It doesn't look like bringing in the Black administrator. Mm -hmm. Community doesn't really look like leaning on the Black woman to be the authoritative figure it community looks like having difficult conversations and figuring out how we can do this without harming a student or without um um without silencing and erasing the voice of black kids i'm gonna say this one thing this is a shameless plug um a friend of mine jonathan pulliam uh the third graduate of tuskegee university has a brand and it's titled believe black kids um and i wear the shirt and um i think that's something that we should definitely be doing like believing black kids <laughs> absolutely um, because really black teachers some of them just aren't believing black kids because of what you know we may know or what we may think we know about black students um and then white teachers many of them are not believing black kids either so it really looks like um believe in black kids that's something that definitely needs to be happening um yeah that's that's that because i think about what you said about your dad you know telling your brother well you need to listen to the teacher well hold on dad can you believe me right can you listen to my side right. of the story yeah like you know and i i do i'm appreciative that makes me think about my mom like when we ever did have a teacher parent conference she would ask for the truth and she wanted to be sure that my story was lined up with the teacher's story but she never once um made me feel like she didn't believe me um you know both of my parents really so we have to really get back to believing black kids right no that's so important because honestly as teachers we can write anything down on referral and pass it to a parent and if you don't trust your child or know your child you will believe anything that people say about your kid and that is absolutely ridiculous so no that was a really good point i'm glad you said that i also want to add in um Yes, lighting the fire under the admin, like absolutely 100%. Teachers can do, you know, all the training and all the, you know, 
all that, but it's it's like admin. You got to step up. Like you like you can't just be running around the school with your <laughs> You know, like you really step up and support your teachers, but also support this work. Yeah. Um, and to Terrence's point, like now is the time. I would say to any teacher listening, like now is the time to really kind of like teach yourself or, you know, um, and I know there are thousands of things going on with distance learning and trying to understand Zoom and like all this and that, but there are trainings on being like an anti-racist educator. There are readings on like anti-blackness, especially within the education system, like read up on that, get your like, you know, teacher toolkit ready to go so that when it's time to go back into school, you aren't like scrambling at the last minute or forgetting like okay I'm gonna hit this buzzer and you're like you know what I'm gonna believe my Mm -hmm. student because I I believe black children I'm going to work with them and we're gonna you know keep this classroom a safe and inclusive space and that's just what we're gonna do yeah no that was perfect that was a great ending so for me personally like I'm taken back like when admin like gives us that opportunity to be like what do you guys want to learn professional development it's no longer like the basics of the curriculum and the standards like we are sick of that we need to be doing anti-racism trainings and figuring out what we can do to keep our kids inside the school and believing in black and brown students that was awesome (laughs) thank you guys and thank you everyone for listening this has been the millennial teacher podcast